volume two chapters twenty two and twenty three of a strange world by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain twenty two it is time o passionate heart said i the reason of muriel's conduct was fully explained by the fact of mr tomlin's death the one friend whom her husband's forethought had provided for her had been snatched away before the hour of her need and she had found herself alone without help counsel or shelter doubtless an overstrained respect for her promise perhaps a latent fear of bridget trevenard's severe nature had withheld her from revealing the fact of her marriage and the manner of it she had borne the deep agony of shame rather than endanger her husband's future she had perhaps argued that if her mother and father had been told the truth nothing would have prevented their communicating it to the squire and then george would have been disinherited through her broken promise woman-like she had deemed her own peace her own fair fame even a lighter sacrifice than her husband's welfare and she had kept silence with this additional evidence of george penwin's letters fully acknowledging muriel as his wife maurice felt that there was no further cause for delay the law could not be too soon set in motion if the law were needed to secure muriel and justina their rights but before appealing to the law he resolved upon submitting the whole case to churchill penwin and to justina in order to discover the possibility of compromise it would be a hard thing to reduce churchill and his wife to beggary they had spent their money wisely and done good in the land an equitable division of the estate would be better pleasing to maurice's idea of justice than a strict exaction of legal rights and he had little doubt that justina would think with him his first duty was to go to her and tell her all the truth and he lost no time in performing that duty it was on saturday morning that he found the letters in the loft and on saturday evening he was in london with the quiet of sunday before him in which to make his revelation he left a note for justina at her lodgings dear miss elgood please do not go to church to-morrow morning as i want to have a long talk with you on a serious business matter and will call at eleven for that purpose yours always maurice clissold saturday evening he found her ready to receive him next morning at eleven fresh and fair in her simple autumn dress of fawn-coloured cashmere with neat linen collar and cuffs a blue ribbon and silver locket her sole ornaments his letter had filled her with vague apprehensions which matthew elgood's arguments had not been able to dispel what business can you have to talk about with me she asked nervously as she and maurice shook hands i hope it is nothing dreadful your letter has kept me in a fever ever since i received it i am sorry to hear that i ought to have said less or more it is a serious business but i hope not one that need give you pain except so far as your tenderness and compassion may be concerned for others the story i am going to tell you is a sad one and has to do with your own infancy i can't understand she said with a perplexed look don't try to understand until i have told you more i shall make everything very clear to you in due time papa may hear i suppose said she with a glance at the comedian who had laid down his after-breakfast pipe and was looking far from comfortable yes i see no reason why mr elgood should not hear all i have to say he will be able to confirm some of my statements matthew elgood moved uneasily in his chair emptied the ashes from his pipe with a shaking hand wiped his forehead with an enormous bandana and then burst out suddenly justina mr clissold is about to make a revelation i know enough of its nature to know that it will be startling i think i've done my duty by you my girl urged you on in your profession 
taught you how to walk the stage how to make a point taught you miss varin's original business in lady teasel we've shared and shared alike through good and foul weather lear and his fool couldn't have stuck better by each other we've tramped the barren heath of life through storm and tempest and you've had to wear leaky shoes sometimes why so have i and if you discover from mr clissold pointing his pipe at maurice with tremulous hand that i am not so much your father as i might have been had nature intended me for that position i hope your heart will speak for me and confess that i have done a father's duty with this closing appeal mr elgood laid down his pipe buried his face in the big bandana and sobbed aloud justina was on her knees at his feet in a moment her arms around him his grizzled head drawn down upon her shoulder soothing caressing him dear papa what can you mean not my father no my love sobbed the comedian legally actually as a matter of fact i have no claim to that title morally it is another pair of shoes i held you at the baptismal font i have fed you many a time when your sole refreshment was alike insipid and sloppy these hands have guided your infantine steps yet i am not your father legally i have no authority over you or your salary you are my father all the same answered justina emphatically what other father have i your legal parent has certainly been conspicuous by his absence my love you were placed in my wife's arms on the day of your birth an abandoned child and from that hour to her death she honestly performed a mother's part and never had less than a mother's love cried justina do not fear dear papa that anything i may hear to-day can ever lessen my affection for you we have borne too much misfortune together not to love each other dearly she added with a touch of sadness say on sir exclaimed the actor with an oratorical flourish of his bandana she is staunch and i fear not the issue maurice told his story in plainest words the story of muriel's marriage and muriel's sorrow justina heard him with tears of tenderness and pity now justina he said after having explained everything you understand that you have a legal claim to the penwin estate your grandfather's will bequeathed the property to george penwin your father or his issue male or female if a daughter inherited her husband whomsoever she married was to assume the name of penwin i have taken the trouble to read the will and i have no doubt as to your position you can file a bill in chancery or your next friend for you to-morrow and you can oust churchill penwin from house and land wealth and social status it will be rather hard upon his wife who is a very sweet woman and has done much good in her neighbourhood do you think i want his money or his land cried justina indignantly not a sixpence not a rood i only want the name you say i have a right to bear james penwin's name to think that we were cousins poor james you dislike churchill penwin this would be a grand revenge for you i dislike him because i have never been able to rid myself of the idea that he had some hand directly or indirectly in his cousin's death but i do not wish to injure him i leave him to god and his own conscience if he has sinned as i believe he has life must be bitter to him in spite of wealth and position are you not intoxicated by the notion of being lady of penwin manor asked maurice no 
i am content to be what i am to earn my own bread and live happily with poor old papa laying her hand lovingly on the comedian's shoulder a welcome hearing this for maurice clissold who had feared lest change of fortune should work a fatal change in the girl he loved but he suppressed all emotion and went on in his business-like tone well justina since you seem to regard your right to the penwin estate with supreme indifference you will be the more likely to fall into my way of thinking looking at the case from an equitable standpoint it does certainly appear to me that although by the old squire's will you are entitled to the whole of the property it would be not the less an injustice were you to claim all it would seem a hard thing to deprive churchill penwin altogether of an estate which he has administered with judgment and benevolence my idea therefore is that i as your next friend if you will allow me the privilege of that position should state the case to mr penwin and propose a compromise namely that he should mortgage the estate for a sum of money amounting to half its value and should deliver that money to you his income would be in this manner be reduced by one half by the interest on this sum and it would be at his discretion to save money even with that smaller income and lessen the amount of the mortgage out of his accumulations as the years went on i think this would be at once a fair and liberal proposal making his change of fortune as light as possible i do not want any of his money said justina impetuously my love that is simply childish exclaimed mr elgood let me act for you justina trust me to deal generously with the squire and his wife i will trust you she answered looking up at him with perfect faith and love trust me in this and in all things you shall not find me unworthy of your confidence and this was all that was said about the penwin estate maurice spent the rest of the day with justina took her to westminster abbey in the afternoon to hear a great preacher and walked with her afterwards in the misty groves of st james park and then and there feeling that he was now free to open his heart to her told her in truest tenderest words how the happiness of his future life was bound up in her how rich or poor she was dearer to him than all the world beside and so in the london fog and gloom under the smoky metropolitan trees they plighted their troth justina ineffably happy i thought you did not care for me she said when all had been told i thought you only cared for james penwin's memory answered maurice poor james that love was like a midsummer night's dream and this is reality yes he held her to his beating heart under the autumnal trees and kissed her with the kiss of betrothal my love my dearest my truest my best what is wealth or position or all this bitter world can give and take away measured against love like ours and after this homily which justina remembered a great deal better than the great preacher's sermon they turned their faces homewards and arrived just in time to prevent the utter ruin of the dinner which their tardiness had imperilled you wouldn't have liked to see a pretty little bit of beef like that reduced to the condition of a deal-board now would you asked mr elgood pointing to the miniature sirloin maurice and justina interchanged smiles they were thinking that they would be content to dine upon deal-boards henceforward so long as they dined together twenty three not as a child shall we again behold her maurice clissold went back to cornwall next day with full powers so far as justina's interests were concerned her greatest anxiety was to see the unhappy mother from whom she had been severed since the hour of her birth 
but to bring about a meeting between these two was not the easiest thing in the world other interests were at stake the albert theatre could not get on without justina or so the manager affirmed and justina's engagement was for the entire season no breaking it save by forfeiture of reputation with the public and at the hazard of a lawsuit the only thing to be done was to bring muriel nearer london so soon as she should be strong enough to bear the journey maurice hoped much from the daughter's influence upon the mother's disordered brain he was at borsal end by eight o'clock in the evening neither mr trevenard nor his son suspecting that their erratic guest had been further than seacombe and found the aspect of things improving muriel was calmer the burns had proved of the slightest and all was going on favourably he went in and sat by her bedside for a few minutes and talked to her the wan eyes looked at him calmly enough but with a curious wonder he found that she remembered nothing of the fire and had no idea why she had been ill and in pain but she did remember the promise he had made her about her daughter someone told me i should see my baby again she said i don't know who it was but someone told me so and i know that i shall see her when we meet our friends in heaven you shall see her here on this earth said maurice is that true quite true then let me go to sleep till she comes lay her here beside me and let me find her here when i open my eyes my sweet baby consider how many years have come and gone since you saw her she is an infant no longer but a beautiful young woman muriel stared at him with a puzzled look i don't want to see any young woman i want my baby again the little baby my mother stole from me this made things difficult maurice saw in this a fond clinging to the past memory strong enough to make the lapse of years as nothing he made no attempt to argue the point but left muriel to the devoted grandmother's care the blind woman sat in her easy-chair by the bed knitting industriously and murmuring a soothing word now and then no voice had such power to comfort muriel when shall i see my niece and when will you tell father martin asked eagerly directly he and maurice were alone together you shall see your niece as soon as your sister is strong enough to bear a journey when you can bring her up to some quiet little place in the neighbourhood of london as for your father i think my chain of evidence is now so complete that i cannot tell him too soon i will get a quiet hour with him to-morrow after breakfast if i can later i am going to the manor-house to examine my ground and discover if there is any chance of a friendly compromise i hope you'll be able to settle things pleasantly said martin i can't bear the idea of those poor young ladies mrs penwin and miss bellingham being turned out of house and home it shall not be so bad as that depend upon it replied maurice he was down early next morning and asked mr trevenard for half an hour's conversation after breakfast an hour if you like answered michael in his listless way there's not much for me to do upon the farm i only potter about the men would get on quite as well without me i dare say i can't believe that mr trevenard said maurice cheerily the master's eye you know the old adage bridget was the ruling mind sir bridget was worth twenty of me it was a cold and blusterous morning the dead leaves falling fast from the few trees about borsal but michael and his companion were fond of the open air so they went out into the neglected garden a wilderness where muriel had been wont to range alone and at liberty for the last twenty years 
here in a narrow path screened by hazel bushes the farmer and maurice clissold paced up and down while maurice told his story taking care to soften bridget trevenard's part in the domestic tragedy and to demonstrate that when erring most she had been actuated only by regard for the family honour and a mistaken family pride michael heard him with deepest emotion my poor girl my beautiful muriel you don't know how proud i was of her how i doted on her and to think i should never have suspected that all was not well that my poor child was being ill-used in her own home not ill-used remonstrated maurice pleading for the dead wife who had trusted him with her secret there was no unkindness no unkindness they made her suffer shame they refused to believe in her purity was that no unkindness they robbed her of her child for what the world's good word i would have stood between my darling and the world none should have dared to slander her while i was near what right had my wife to take this matter into her own hands to hoodwink me with her secrecies and suppressions i would have stood by my child muriel would have trusted me yes she would have trusted her indulgent old father even if she feared to confide in her mother bridget was always too severe remember that your wife erred in her anxiety for your good name yes yes i know that god knows it goes hard with me to speak against her in her grave poor faithful soul she was faithful according to her notion of right but she took too much heed of the world her world half a dozen families within five miles of borsal the sun and moon and heaven and all god's angels were not so much account to her poor soul she must have suffered i've seen the lines of trouble growing deeper in her face and never knew why they came there my poor trampled upon muriel it was a cruel thing to send away the child i could have loved it dearly you will love her dearly still when i bring her to you yes but not as i could have loved her twenty years ago when she was a helpless infant my first-born grandchild the idea that this grandchild of his was the rightful owner of the penwin estate borsal end included moved michael trevenard but slightly he was not calm enough to consider this business from a worldly point of view he could only think of the grandchild that was born under his roof and spirited away while he lay in his bed unsuspecting of the evil that was being wrought for love of his good name he could only think of the persecuted daughter whose life had been made so bitter of the husband who had never lived to acknowledge his wife the father who had never known of his child's birth the thought of these things altogether absorbed his mind and he scarcely realized the fact of his grandchild's claim to wealth and position and where is she what is she doing now muriel's daughter my grandchild he asked maurice explained justina's position what cried the old man with a wry face a play-actress rattled red and white and in short petticoats all over tinsel stars capering outside a show his only notion of actresses was founded on his experiences at seacombe cattle fair do you mean to say that my flesh and blood has come to that maurice hastened to correct the farmer's idea of the dramatic profession and to assure him that his granddaughter was to all intents and purposes a lady 
modest refined in feeling and in manner beautiful in mind and person a grandchild of whom he had ample reason to be proud a london theatre is not in the least like those itinerant playhouses you have seen at seacombe fair he said humph they don't dance outside i suppose or play the pandean pipes and beat a gong nothing approaching it you might mistake a london theatre for a church looking at its outside and they don't rattle their faces eh oh dear no maurice replied with a faint twinge in that region of his sensorium which phrenologists appropriate to conscientiousness not in the least in short acting in london is high art and no short petticoats and tinsel stars eh no tinsel stars nor does your granddaughter ever appear in short petticoats she is a most refined and elegant actress and i know that whether you see her on or off the stage you will be equally charmed with her i shall love her for muriel's sake answered michael trevenard tenderly yes i should love her dearly even if she rattled her cheeks and danced outside a show at a fair End of volume two chapters twenty two and twenty three